This is episode number 24 of Ships with Christina Crook. Welcome to Ships. My name is Pat McAndrew, and I am a professional actor, speaker, and coach. In every episode, we discuss a message related to the most important vessels in our lives. Thanks for being here today. Now let's set sail. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Ships Podcast. Today, we have an incredible guest. Her name is Christina Crook, and she is doing some incredible work in the digital wellness space. Christina Crook is an award-winning author and in-demand speaker with engagements including the Young Presidents Organization, World Vision, and the All Tech is Human Summit. Her 2015 book, The Joy of Missing Out, Finding Balance in a Wired World, helped pioneer the field of digital well-being and established her as a leading voice on technology and human flourishing. Her commentary on technology and daily life has appeared in international media, including the New York Times, Psychology Today, and Glamour Brazil. She is widely considered the leader of the global hashtag JOMO movement, and is a founding member of the Digital Wellness Collective. Christina co-leads JOMO plus Digital Wellness Retreats, a series of events designed to help digitally wary attendees learn to have a healthier relationship with technology. Her new podcast, The JOMO Cast, sponsored by Hover.com, includes featured guests and discussion on the topics of technology and well-being. You guys are in for an incredible episode with Christina Crook. We talk a lot about JOMO, of course, the joy of missing out, and how we could implement that into our daily lives. We also talk about how relationships are the key to bringing us joy throughout our life, and that we are currently out of practice in building these relationships in an age where tech is all about efficiency and relationships at the end of the day are very inefficient. She also gives some great action steps in order to implement JOMO into our lives, one of those being to put people first. So I really think that you're going to enjoy this episode with Christina. She has some great information for you all and and has had amazing experiences within her life that hopefully we can adopt into our own lives as well. So please let me introduce Christina Crook. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ships Podcast. Today's guest is Christina Crook. Christina, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to dive in and chat with you. You have done some amazing work in the digital wellness space, and you have really grown into uh, this voice in this really brand new movement that is taking place and talking about how to use technology more mindfully and really the impact that excessive technology use is having on us as individuals. 
it's an exciting time to be sure. And it's, it's exciting to be more connected with individuals like you that are in this space. So I'm, I'm excited to dig in. Yeah. So I'm wondering if you could just start off by telling us a little bit about your background, where are you from and what led you onto the path that you're pursuing today? I was born and raised in Vancouver, Canada, and studied at Simon Fraser University in their communication department. And really that degree formed the trajectory that I've been on for the rest of my life and career. It was really a study of mass communication and the ways in which it shapes both individuals and cultures. And so I came into my the start of my career at the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, um, working there and eventually moving out on my own as a freelance writer. And I had developed this habit, this practice um, that my grandmother had, which was that she was a newspaper clipper. Maybe some of your listeners have no idea what I'm talking about, <laughs> but it was like an old school thing for elderly people to, you know, open up the newspaper and clip out articles and sort of save them and give them to people who they thought might it's like sharing it's like the modern day share an article that you find on the internet except for in yeah. analog yeah. so this is what my grandma my grandmother was an early adopter she was a sharer of things and um i started the same practice and so when email um in the early you know late 90s early 2000s sort of started to creep creep up on us and obviously eventually sort of swallow us whole and overwhelm us and then social media came onto the scene as well I just started to clip I started to clip articles I start, I was just really just paying attention to the shift in the culture um, both in the culture and in myself personally and so I actually amassed this physical collection of articles that I'd either printed off from the internet or I had clipped from magazines and newspapers and eventually I got to this sort of crisis point in my own life where I wanted to figure out what kind of person and also what kind of parent, because I at that point had two children, um, and what kind of creator, uh, creative person I would be without the demands and the opportunities that the internet provides. And so I decided to take a 31-day break entirely from data, from information from the internet. So wow. Yes. Um, and actually, during those 31 days, I opened up that big accordion file folder and started to pull and pull things out and started to really dig into the reading um, of these, you know, critiques that had started to emerge about the impact of social media and and these particular technologies on our lives. And I actually used an older technology, which was a, which was a typewriter, and wrote a typewritten letter each day to one particular friend back in Vancouver, because at that point I was living in Toronto. Was, I was mailing them back to Vancouver with these newspaper clippings, with reflections on life without the internet, how is impacting me personally, the challenges, the frustrations, the complete joy of being disconnected and yeah, like slowly moving through my days and getting the only bits of news I would get would be from my neighbor, from the barista, whoever I happened to talk to that day. Um, and I, I chronicled that journey and that set me on the trajectory towards writing my book, The Joy of Missing Out. So that is how I came, that was a long way, winded way of saying how I came into this work. Um, you know, let's say about five, five years ago. That's incredible. Just the idea of being able to do a social media or rather an internet fast for 31 days is pretty incredible, especially in today's age where we're all so connected and so much of our time is spent online. And so 
I'm curious as to what what was that experience like? Did you I mean, obviously you wrote the, this book Joy of Missing Out and was there a lot of was there any like anxiety about missing out on what was going on with the world and by the end of it did you discover that you really didn't miss out on that much? What was that whole fascinating experience like? <laughs> Um, yes, there was anxiety, right? It was a detox. It was a detox um, in the, you know, the purest sense of the word where I was eliminating something that had profoundly been a part of my life and had served a lot of needs, um, healthy needs and, in, you know, unhealthy needs. Um, so the first couple of days, so I had set up a blog about the experiment. And what was going to happen was my friend Marissa on the other side who was receiving these letters was going to scan and post them into the blog. So people could follow along, which I know is like very ironic. It didn't work very well because Canada Post, uh, like maybe your postal service, wherever you're listening, isn't exactly foolproof. And so the letters came like hugely out of order and all these things. But that's sort of beside the point. The blog was set up and because I'm a writer, um, I was very used to in the online space being able to tweak, right? We all do this. We don't even pay attention to it, but like we're all, you know, updating our bios and our Twitter, you know, our Twitter bios and we're all, you know, finessing our websites and we're all tweaking all the time because we can't. And all of a sudden I couldn't. And there was a particular line on the blog that was like driving me nuts. <laughs> I want to change this sentence but I couldn't. And so it stressed me out for a little while. And then it became this like profound release. Like I don't have to control that. And that's really what the experiment, a core part of the experiment became about was releasing control. We exert what we feel like is a huge amount of control in the online space. We control the images we put out in the world. We control our message. We control all of these different things. If I want to respond to someone's text message or not, right? Whereas in the real world, we actually have a huge, we have way less control. You know, the world and people are intrinsically unpredictable, right? It's an unpredictable to walk into a coffee shop. You don't know like what the weird looking dude beside you is going to say to you. You don't know how he's going to interact with your body. Like you don't, you oh, don't yeah. have control over those things. Whereas when you have this, you know, this huge space between you and another human, it's so beautiful that you and I are talking to each other, but this is a very controlled situation right right now between you and I you're controlling what questions you ask me I'm controlling what <laughs> answers I'm giving so control was a huge piece of, of it um and I would say it only but it only took maybe a day or two where that sort of anxiety around wanting to be on the internet and just like my natural go-tos of grabbing from my phone in a lull in the day or googling something I realized man I google people all the time I meet someone who's interesting and what do I do I google them right so what did I have to do I had to start googling them which is not really googling them but I, I kind of joked that it was like googling them in person like I could just ask them right like I, I remember one of the first people you know that I interacted with you know maybe day two or three was this writer that I knew that was a part of a community I was a part of here in Toronto a creative community and he had mentioned that he had published some things and so I wanted to go and google him and like find out where he'd published and read some of his poetry or whatever it was and I realized oh I could just ask him yeah yeah. Right. So, <laughs> That's so uh, funny. Yeah. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Yeah. But these, but these ways of being that are just become habitual. So it was sort of an undoing of that. But honestly, it was so life giving. I describe it like 
all of a sudden my mind had just all of this space to breathe and think. And I was so peaceful. I moved more slowly. I got things done, creative projects that had been left and put to the side. You know, I pulled out whether a physical thing or, you know, a writing project that I wanted to work on. Um, without that constant inputting, I was actually able to to do an incredible amount of creative work. Yeah, it's really incredible how much you can get done when you cut out all these distractions. And because there's so much on the internet, there there's so many distractions that are making their ways into our lives. And it's incredible how much you can get done if you figure out a way to cut out those distractions. Mm -hmm. And so was there a specific way that you prepared before going on this fast? So you made this decision that you were going on this 31 day fast from the internet. Was there a certain like preparation period or a process that you went through before day one? Yes. Uh, in fact, there is a lot of preparation that needs to happen. Uh, I would say before you do something like that, I had to do simple things like get a map book. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, book, um, saving important phone numbers that I had been in the habit of Googling over and over again, because I wouldn't be able to do that anymore. Like the sushi place or whatever it was, right. Like the getting those numbers sorted out, um, in advance. What are some of the other things I had to do? I mean, obviously autoresponders, I had to make arrangements with my work. Um, I was, you know, self-employed. So I obviously had a huge amount of freedom in that respect, but I actually did have two articles that I was meant to submit that month um, for publication in a couple of different magazines. And I missed those deadlines. And so I actually ended up having to um, submit them by USB stick uh, and mailing them <laughs> in an envelope. Uh, <laughs> That's amazing. Uh huh. Um, Cause I could still use my computer to just, you know, word processing though. I, Barely did, but um, I did for those two articles, and I had to save them to USB sticks. One of them got lost in the mail. Um, they also cost like thirty dollars to ship. I would say that filing, you know, sending information by email is way more <laughs> way more cost effective and more efficient. Obviously, uh, so that was that was pretty inefficient and maybe a low point um, during that month. But it was also fairly hilarious. It also. Um, the morning I had to have them into Canada Post, there was a snowstorm in Toronto and I had to drive oh, no. it be like 45 minutes in this snowstorm to like get 10 blocks. Um, things, right? Like these are just like the inefficiencies of life. Uh, but in terms of preparation, also just talking to my family and friends. Like I had some people say, well, I'll see you in a month. <laughs> like they're just like, well, if you're not going to bother <laughs> to be on the internet, you're like dead to me. Uh, like loving, like people that are like close to me. Uh, it was really interesting, the response that people had. Um, but other people were keenly interested. And so, you know, paid close attention to the the blog and the letters as they were coming in and, you know, made a point of connecting, like sending me letters. I actually had like quite a number of close friends who had made a point of getting my address before and, and sent me some mail. Oh, nice. Was such, like was such a delight. Um, joyful mail to me is like one of the great gifts of life. And it happens so infrequently in our mailboxes. So that was that was definitely a joy. But yeah, I mean, letting people know, um, and then, yeah, sort of getting things in order, uh, beforehand was a big part of it. 
And was there at any point during your fast where you were very close to breaking it and really whether it be logging back online or, or connecting back to your smartphone, was there any point or were you pretty convinced right at the start that, okay, this is something that I'm doing and there is no way, no how that I'm going to connect to the internet? <laughs> um, so I did never break it um, the whole time. And honestly, I had no desire to do so. It was this like enormous liberation. It was so wonderful to be disconnected. I loved every minute of it. The only two points where I it came into question were when that envelope I described went missing. I had to um, cheat and get my partner, husband, to email uh, that story because it was due and it was literally lost in the world. Um, that was the only way to get that in. So that was a cheat. And then the other time was a uh, emergency situation where, um, yeah, I was in an emergency situation and I wanted to Google for a locksmith and I couldn't. Um, and I really wanted to, that was super frustrating. And so I ended up having to call my husband who ended up calling, um, a locksmith, but that was one of those moments where, you know, and a lot of people will say that, you know, I would be okay leaving the house with my phone. A lot of parents will say this specifically, you know, what to do with safety with their kids. Like I would go, I would leave my phone at home and go out. But you know, if there was an emergency, I would, um, you know, I want my phone just for the emergency purposes. And then of course we end up using it for like a hundred other things, which is the challenge of a frigging iPhone with a thousand apps, um, right, which maybe right. we can, maybe, which maybe we can get into a little bit deeper. Cause I love what the light phone guys are doing and there's yes. you know, exciting, yes. exciting new um, products coming to market that, that will help with those types of things. But that was a real, uh, a real, in that crisis moment uh, was when I, I really was wanting for the technology. But you know what? People will say, oh, if I'm not online, I don't know what's happening out of the loop. I want to be, you know, an informed citizen and, and know what's happening in the news. But I think that is a great, um, it's just a fallacy, really, because the, the big stories, people are talking about them. Like, I didn't miss out on any big stories while I was offline. People talk about them. You, you know, you're waiting in line for coffee in the coffee shop and the barista is talking about something. And if you're paying attention, you're going to hear about the big, the big stories in, in the world. So um, I didn't miss out on any of that. Yeah, it's, it's really fascinating just how we, we feel like we're going to miss out on a lot. But as you were just saying, that's not really the case. And I would love to get your insights more on what you just brought up with regards to smartphones and how much is available to us on a smartphone and is that good for us is it not um i'm i'm also very interested in this light phone coming out i actually i didn't have a smartphone until uh august of last year before wow. that i i always had a dumb phone and and there's there's a lot that I miss about that. And so I, I'm also I'm very excited to see, uh, you know, this this light phone and it coming out. But I'm wondering if you could speak to that sort of relationship that we have to our phones and what is the cost of having pretty much everything available to us in our pockets? 
So I want to actually bring up the work, and I just actually looked up her name. Thank you, internet. Um, my friend Jumana, whose name I always say her name wrong, but her name is Jumana Abu Gazala, and she's the founder and yeah, president. I've, oh my! So you know Jumana? Yes, yes. I've actually i've I've done a little bit of uh, work with them with Betwixt Us, and now she's yes. doing uh, Pivot for Humanity. Yes. Yeah. So Jumana. I think it was Jumano um, who I met at the All Tech is Human Summit um, in New York last fall. And we were on a panel together. And it was really the first time, I think I'd heard it before, but it was really the first time I really understood the idea of digital friction. The idea that all of these design decisions are being made about the ease and, you know, literally down to like tenths of a millisecond in terms of how fast things load, how quickly we can get things done on our smartphones. And actually the design design decisions that can be made by platforms, apps that actually could increase digital friction. What digital friction essentially is, is making those things more difficult to use, making even adding a one second delay into an app that has a question that asks you, is this what you really want to be doing right now? Right? Or it takes long enough to load that you have that moment of reflection, like, do I really want to be loading on, you know, do I really want to be going on Instagram? Do I really need to check whatever I'm about to check for the hundredth time that day? Yeah. And all these design decisions are being made, you know, on our behalf. And what are the motivators of the des those design decisions? Those design decisions are being made for economic reasons, right? The longer we spend on particular apps, the more ads we see, the more money they make. And so, you know, the design, and we hear this across all of our, you know, with all of our digital wellness friends, um, are obviously not serving our best interest in terms of time spent on smartphones. The other thing is the fact that smartphones simply are not phones, right? There are a thousand other things. They're health trackers, they're fertility trackers, they're portals to every kind of internet, you know, entertainment stream that we could ever imagine. They're also the way that we track our time and our and our cell phone usage in terms of digital wellness apps. They're all these different things. And I think for me it's been really interesting as a parent because as a parent, I am keenly aware of what I'm doing in front of my children. And that's not just specifically with my phone, but what we're talking about the phone right now. And I'll find when I pick up my phone, I don't want my kids just to see me randomly staring at a screen. What I'll say to them is, oh, mommy's on her phone right now because she's sending message to Oma, to grandma about the trip we're doing this summer. Or Mommy's on her phone right now because she has to deal with a work email. And actually saying those things out loud brings a mindfulness to what I'm doing and an intention to get that particular job done and then move away and put it away in a way that I think that, you know, is really challenging for some people. There is, there, there's definitely, I think my mindfulness around my digital use is actually hugely tied into being a model for another person. Yeah, it's very easy to get lost in that rabbit hole of technology. And I really like what you're saying about setting an intention and even speaking it out loud to whoever you may be with, whether it's your children, a friend, a, another close family member. Right. Because that when you speak it out loud, there's like a, a tangibleness or a reality to it. And I imagine that that then compels you to put the phone down more readily. 
Yes. And it's, it's actually hilarious. I mean, I think there are people in the world that do talk to themselves on a regular basis in like not a crazy way, but I do that. Like sometimes if I find I'm spinning out on my computer and I'm just like, I'm, I feel like I don't have focus. I will say to myself, Christina, you are writing a book proposal right now. (laughs) This is what you are doing. This is why you are in this space. And it will, it'll snap me back in to focusing on the task at hand. Um, I don't know if I'm answering your question. I mean, there's so much, so many discussions we can have specifically around all of the uses of a smartphone in particular. So if you have a follow-up question, please let me know. Yeah, no, I think that, you know, I was really looking for for a broad statement and I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head is that it, it really, when at the end of the day, it comes to being intentional with why you're using the technology because otherwise it's so easy to get lost. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious if you could uh, talk a little bit about uh, the joy of missing out. So, of course, many of us are familiar with FOMO, the fear of missing out. And I really like how you've taken this concept and really flipped it on its head with the joy of missing out. And I think there might be many listeners out there that are like, the joy of missing out? How can there possibly be joy in missing out? How... So my my question to you is, how can we find that joy and how is the joy of missing out possible? Right. Yes. So I just want to first address the fear side, the fear of missing out side, and then I will get into the joy of missing out side, if that's all right with you. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. So, um, so FOMO's core messages. Okay. So let's talk about FOMO's core messages. So the fear of missing out. So I really describe FOMO's core messages in in sort of three terms. The belief that I'm not doing enough, the belief that I don't have enough, and then thirdly, the belief that I am not enough. So these three messages, we're seeing them, hearing them, being bombarded by them all the time. And this isn't simply because of the, you know, the arrival of social media. This is well before social media was a thing, right? Advertisements for all of history have tapped into those core insecurities that we have as people, right? I'm not doing enough. I don't have enough. I'm not enough. I need more. I need to buy more, right? Those core messages have been around for a really, really long time. It's just that they've been magnified to such an absurd level where we're being told these messages in our ear holes <laughs> with our eyes as we walk down the street with billboards it's just endless right the flow of this mess these messages and they you know people will say that FOMO is really like the for the last decade FOMO has basically been the message of the last decade and so the flip of that JOMO I always clarify I did not come up with the term JOMO Anil Dash who is a wildly successful tech entrepreneur and like genuinely all around beautiful human being responded to his friend Katerina Fake's post about FOMO. Katerina Fake is one of the co-founders of Flickr and Anil Dash responded to her with this idea of flipping it to joy. Could there be joy in missing out on these things? Could there be joy in disconnecting from the the internet. Um, And I'm very much summarizing Anil because Anil is also in his own right, an incredibly articulate and beautiful communicator. I, my book ended up being titled The Joy of Missing Out. And so it's been this incredible journey for me because um, 
framing a conversation around digital use, not as a digital detox, but as the joy that we can step into when we leave our devices behind, the joys we can step into in the real world, I think is way more powerful than having a litany of things that we need to leave behind. We shouldn't, you know, be on email before we get out of bed in the morning. We shouldn't, you know, walk around all the time with earbuds in our ears because we're disconnected from neighbors and our, you know, what's happening in our own minds and hearts. We shouldn't, right? Like we can come up with a thousands of things we shouldn't be doing. But for me, it's much more powerful to have a conversation about the joy of what's possible when we do break away. And so I have come to a definition of Jomo and this is my, my definition, Jomo is the joy of missing out on the right things. Things like toxic hustle, comparison, disconnection, and digital drain in order to make space for life-giving commitments, life-giving things that bring us peace, love, meaning, and joy. So we miss out on working, you know, 90-hour weeks, 80-hour weeks, 70-hour weeks, whatever the case might be, in order that we make space and margin for meaningful relationships, for hobbies, for exercise, for time in nature. Human connection is the big one. So there is a study that I talk about almost anytime <laughs> I get a microphone in my hands, whether it's through a podcast or giving a talk or anything like that. And that is the Harvard Grant study. The Grant study, the Harvard Grant study is the longest longitudinal study of human development in history. And it's been published in a number of different books um, by the lead researcher. But one of the books that I tend to mention is one called The Triumphs of Experience. And essentially, after tracking all of these individuals for now inwards of, you know, eight decades, what they have discovered is that there is a direct correlation between the health and warmth, as they define it, the warmth of our relationships and our levels of well-being and outward markers of success. So there is no other more, you know, valuable and um, peer-reviewed you know, studies out there than the grant review, grant study. And the grant study says that happiness is love, full stop. That is the conclusion. It's a five word conclusion of this, the longest running longitudinal study of human development in history. So human relationships, our relationships to other people, whether it be our friend, our next door neighbor, our mother, our brother, our spouse, our children, the warmth of those relationships are our greatest source of joy and meaning. And ultimately, ultimately what, what the study actually shows is also your outward markers of success. The healthier your relationships are is directly correlated with your achievement in the outside world. Wow. Yeah, it, it's, it's so true. And I feel like as we develop and nourish relationships, as we get older, we really have a stronger concept of that joy that we get from relationships. And so I'm wondering, do you feel like genuine human relationships are in danger today where we're all hyper-connected to the internet? Uh, yes, I do think that is the case. And I think that social anxiety, I don't just think it, I know, we all know that social anxiety is on the rise because we're out of practice. Right, we're out of practice going through 
the painful dynamics of relationships. I like to say that like our technologies are focused on one thing. They're focused on efficiency, right? That is the that is the promise. The promise is we will make this easier for you. My friend, you know, her and her partner have started a new startup called Willful and it's making wills easy, right? It's making like actually having like a will, right? Everything is about making it easier for you to do your finances, making it easier for you to get groceries, making it easier to do everything we can imagine. And the truth is that relationships are painfully inefficient like it's literally painful (laughs) to me how much work it takes to put into a marriage it is painful to me sometimes how much work it takes into being a good sister i have seven brothers and sisters it's a crazy wow that's amazing it is it is is amazing i love them like to bits and they're we're all gonna be together this summer in person it's like one of the greatest joys of my life but it is very hard to stay connected it is very hard work and so we are not being served by our technologies that are constantly telling us that things can be easier and easier is better when relationships are the antithesis of efficient yeah yeah it's 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 so true and I, I really love what you're saying about relationships being incredibly inefficient because they take so much time. And I feel like today, because technology is all about efficiency, I, I feel like everything's go, go, go and instant gratification, but you can't really find that with deep and meaningful relationships. No. And we try things like scheduling, you know, using, you know, iCal to like schedule time with our friends. But once you're face to face with them, if you've got an agenda, if you're trying to make that time together as efficient as possible, like it's a huge waste of time, right? What do you want to do with your friends? You want to waste time together. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. And I'm I'm curious just to elaborate this on a little bit more. uh, You had said on your website that Jomo, the joy of missing out, is essential for success in all aspects of how we love, live, parent, and lead. And so why do you believe Jomo is this essential aspect of that? Mm-hmm. So joy. So I've become, obs- I've become very obsessed with the word joy um, because it's in the title of my book. Um, and it's something now that I think about all the time. And it was a revelation to me when I actually only in the last year went to the, you know, the Merriam-Webster's definition, dictionary definition of joy. And this is what it says. Joy by definition is, quote, the emotion evoked by well-being success, and the prospect of possessing what one desires. Okay, what do we all want, right? We want well-being and success, however we define them for ourselves. And success really just means the attainment of our goals, whatever they are. And well-being is having a positive relationship with our limits and our abilities, whatever they are. And so joy occurs when well-being and success exist simultaneously within us. And that's what I mean when I talk about joy being the source, the root of how we flourish in the ways that we lead people, if we are leaders of organizations, if we are loving people, which is hopefully true for every human being walking the planet and the way that we live and all the ways that we live. We all want well-being and you and I are connected through the digital well-being movement and success. Every person wants success. Every person wants a measure of success. 
The problem is, is that we are constantly ingesting other people's definition of success. And that takes us back to those FOMO's, FOMO's core messages, right? I need to do more. I need to be more. I'm not enough. But the truth is, if we actually define success on our own terms, which is a core piece of joy, well-being and success, again, right, if we define them on our own terms, and we're just achieving goals, the goals that we've set for ourselves, then we actually can be like, excuse me, fuck FOMO. <laughs> like, fuck you, FOMO. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, I've made my choice. Like, I'm actually achieving my goals. You are, you have a podcast, right? That's a goal that you set for yourself. You are a success because you're achieving your goals. You are, you are the host of a podcast. Yeah. Right. Right. And so looking outside of ourselves at all these outside messages, like I should be more, I should do more. I am not enough. I should be more in myself. It's just bullshit. It's just bullshit messages that are constantly trying to tell us to burn ourselves out, trying to be something that someone else said is the goal. And so that's why I say that joy is essential for the ways that we live and love and lead, because we have to be motivated by our own definitions of success and our own personal well-being. Yes, I am like jiving with everything that you're saying right now. That's so so true. We're, We're constantly ingesting other people's definition of success on a regular basis, and it's so easy to fall into this comparison trap and really think about, oh, okay, everyone's doing this or everyone's seemingly doing this thing and attaining some form of success. I guess I should be doing that. Right. And it's so easy for us to forget that success is very different for every individual and everyone's meaning of success is different. And so, yeah, I absolutely agree with that is that we really get into this pattern and rather this habit of comparing ourselves to other people's success and then thinking that we have to do everything and anything the same exact way in order to achieve that level of success, whatever that may be. When in reality, what we should be doing is looking inward at what brings us joy. And that's going to likely be on a completely different path. Yes. Your path, the better path. Yeah. And so well, using Jomo, how can humans then flourish in the digital age? And how can practicing Jomo improve our human relationships? So, you know, the world of competition, which we just talked about, right? Constant comparison, competition, and corporate bottom lines, which a lot of us are driven by, right? They drive us to extremes, but we need to go home. You know, we need to disconnect and recharge, but it's increasingly difficult to do so because we can work on our laptops and phones, you know, 24 hours a day and anytime, any place, right? But when not used mindfully, our tech can sap our focus and productivity. And as you and I both know, as creative people, our creativity, right? And ultimately our impact, we forget that we need to stop. And so that's where I feel like Jomo. And it's so exciting to me to actually see like really young people. So I have peers and friends who have read my book and are just like all in. And then now their teenagers are using Jomo as like an excuse to not be on social media. They're using it as an excuse to not be fucking online all the time. And I, that is like, like, 
I couldn't hope for anything greater in the world. Like it was like, yeah, that's it's amazing. like amazing. Like use Jomo as an excuse. Like use Jomo as an excuse to not to not be constantly online. And it's interesting because there's a meme going around right now, which is not my definition of uh, Jomo necessarily. It's close, but not quite. Where it talks about Jomo being a it's a basically disconnection as a form of self-care. So like not going out and being in the world like Jomo, I'm going to stay inside and like be in my socks and watch Netflix. That is not my definition of Jomo because you're choosing. Sometimes that's a good thing to do, right? Sometimes you need a break. You need to just chill. But what I view Jomo as being is, is specifically saying no to constantly being online and being driven by outward like we just talked about like FOMO right like all of the messages that are telling us we need to be on social media longer we need to do more work constant 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 so my the excitement for me around Jomo is that excuse of like nope I don't need to do that that doesn't align with my values I can say no to that and I'm giving myself permission that to me is like the greatest, greatest offering that Jomo could have in the world. And it's exciting for me to see that, see that happening. Yeah. It really allows yourself to have agency over your life and to really seize back control. Because I feel like when we're really in the, the web, uh, I mean, I guess li- literally and uh, figuratively, <laughs> figuratively the, yeah, and literally, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or in the web, like it's so easy for us to, to get stuck and to get lost. And, but if we say, no, I'm going to purposely miss out and find the joy in that, it really gives us a certain agency and and control over our lives that I could only imagine benefits us in the long run. Mm -hmm. That is my hope. And so I'm curious, as we talked about in the very beginning of our conversation, there's this movement that's happening right now, a digital wellness movement. And there's a lot of talk going around trying and a lot of people trying to figure out what exactly does digital wellness mean? And you and I were were both members of the Digital Wellness Collective, which is a, a great organization of professionals working in this space. So I'm curious if you could tell me in our audience, your own interpretation about what digital wellness means to you. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I kind of have flipped things a little bit and have focused more on well-being. And I'd like to explain why um, I've chosen to use the word word well-being, um, because I believe that well-being is different from wellness. It's different because, you know, being, be is a verb. Being describes the active maintenance of a state. And wellness to me is a descriptor, like wealth or beauty. You either have it or you don't. It's outside of you. And if you don't have it, you probably want to go and chase it. So I want to challenge people a bit to think of well-being as your relationship to who you are instead of a pursuit of things you may or may not have. So, but I think this movement and the collective and all the beautiful people that are working on this issue in lots of different and creative ways, everything from our friend um, with brick and the brick community in California, and just like literally like just basically just disabling your phone. I mean, 
he knows this, but you could just, you know, turn your phone, like power off your phone, right? It's the same thing. It's fine. Creating communities where you're like, I'm going to be in brick mode and I'm going to like, if anyone doesn't know what I'm talking about, the brick was like the old school phone that was so large. It was physically like a brick in a house. <laughs> um, that's where that comes from. Um, so like people like that, um, obviously our friends at Light Phone, Jumana, like people are trying to tackle this problem from so many different perspectives, um, nourishing habits, like all of these different coaching practices. Um, I don't believe that there is one solution. There's never a, to a societal problem, there's always going to be different expressions of a solution. There's a wonderful woman who's running something in New York. I don't believe she's a part of Digital Wellness Collective, but I think of her as someone who is because she runs something called the Joy List. And she just puts out a weekly email with joyful, you should know about this, this is in New York City, joyful activities that you can go to and participate in to increase human connection uh, in New York City, which is you know one of the most exciting and also one of the most lonely places in the world. Yeah. Um, I think she's part of the solution. Uh, so I, that's not really answering your question, but I think that a multifaceted challenge in the world culturally requires creative thinking and you know holistic solutions. And it's not going to be you know there. I I often say you know that there's no one size fits all answer to the problem of digital well being because every person has different professional demands, personal demands. Um, limitations on their own health. I have a particular friend who was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis in her youth. And so for her, she can't physically go out and do a lot of things. So for, for her to have access to things like YouTube videos that allow her to be a part of this making community and like knitting and sewing, which has been like so empowering for her. Like that is her unique story. And so her spending hours online with those online communities is actually creating huge freedom and empowerment for her. So for me to say that her being on her phone is wrong because it goes over a certain amount of hours is so arbitrary. And so that's why I think that, you know, all of these different voices working together is, is so powerful and exciting. Yeah, it really is. And community has really grown a lot over the past uh, over the past year or so, or, or the past two years. And it seems like it's just continuing to grow and awareness is starting to be spread a lot more. And so it's very exciting to see where all of these great projects and ideas end up down the road. And really hoping that it, it's working towards some positive change. Mm -hmm. I think just knowing about one another has been the most powerful thing for me. That's been like my, since my book came out, I have, I have been just literally scouring the world for like-minded people, everything from Kai Brock, who publishes off-screen magazine out of Australia, to you, the whole digital wellness collective movement. And so the fact that we're gathering together to share resources and, and learn and, and um, collaborate, um, is very exciting. Right. Absolutely. So I have a, a question for you for our audience members who are out there who might be very regimented, who might be very logic based. So we're, we're talking a, a lot of mm -hmm. great things about joy and about the joy of missing out. But I'm wondering if you can perhaps provide some action steps for some of our uh, families or companies, communities in which they could start implementing JOMO into their lives? Mm -hmm. 
Okay. So I have a couple of suggestions. Um, I mean, it's a huge one, but it's, it's so important. Put people first, just put people first. And that can look like instead of sending another email, get up out of your chair, walk around the floor of your office and talk and go to someone else's cubicle and talk to them face to face, you know, try and make those personal connection moments a priority in your life. Um, that also goes for couples. I've heard really painful stories of couples where, you know, one person, the couple wants to, you know, plan their whole trip digitally by just sharing documents with each other. And the other person, all he or she wants is to sit face to face with their partner and have a conversation and like go like joyfully go on that journey together and not just get it done as efficiently as possible. So I would say, put people first, put that human connection piece front and center wherever possible in your organizations, in your homes, in your community organizing, whatever you're doing, it's less efficient. It's way more impactful in the long run. Um, I would say do things to increase digital friction. Um, and again, what digital friction really means is making using your technology more difficult. And it's completely counterintuitive. I understand that. Um, but that's things like, you know, have a place that you place your phone every day on a regular basis when you come home, for example. Like you drop it with your keys at the front door and it sits there and that's where it rests. Um, and you go back to it, you know, if you absolutely need to, but don't carry it around with you um, into every room of the house. It is not a part of you. It is separate from you <laughs> and create some of that friction. Um, a final thing I will say that is just like such a practical tool that I use um, and it is an analog uh, way of going about things. But in terms of like efficiency and staying on task and not again, getting sucked into um, using, you know, technology unmindfully. Um, and that is just writing a list of things on a piece of paper that you want to get done online before you open up your laptop. Oh, that's so good. Your phone. Love that. So just write a list of the things that you're planning to do with your computer or online. Um, and then just try and move as quickly and effectively through that list as possible and then close it up and move on to other things. So those are my those are my suggestions. I really love that. And that goes back to what you were saying before about setting an intention about how you're going to use technology, whether it be your smartphone or your laptop. I absolutely love that. I might try to implement that into my life. So <laughs> write a list of things that I'm planning to do online. So that's good. Sometimes it's going back to an older technology, right? The pen is a technology. It's just an older technology. Like these, some of these older technologies can actually serve us better. Yeah. And so with all that said, I only have uh, one more question for you, Christina. <laughs> and yep. uh, that is, what would you say is your definition of a genuine human relationship? Um, I would say it's a relationship that's reciprocal. So the both sides are giving to the relationship and that only happens through vulnerability. We, we have a real human relationship is a relationship where both individuals are free to express needs and actually do so. Um, and that way we can respond to one another and actually serve one another. So that's my definition. Well, Christina, thank you so much for 
all of your words of wisdom today and also also action steps for our audience to be able to implement Jomo into their lives and to really have this opportunity for them to look inward and find the joy in their lives and help direct them so that they don't get lost in the barrage that could be, you know, technology and, and getting lost in all that. So I really appreciate you joining us on the show and, and I really appreciate all the work that you're doing. Thanks so much, Patrick. It was such a joy to be with you. Now, before we head on out, I'm just wondering if you could uh, give us some information about where our audience could find out more information about you and maybe some upcoming projects or uh, events that you might be involved with. Yes, beautiful. So people can find me um, and subscribe to all things Jomo at experiencejomo.com. And two very exciting things. Uh, in early July, I am launching my own podcast. It is the Jomo cast. Surprise, surprise. Ah, I love that. Um, and I encourage people <laughs> and I encourage people to tune in to the Jomo cast and join founders and creators in embracing the joy of missing out to thrive in a rapidly changing world. And the final thing is that I'm actually doing a collaboration with Christina Maleka, who is the founder of Digital Mindfulness Retreats. And we will be offering three very exciting retreats over the next six to eight months. Um, one in Vancouver this summer, one on Cortez Island at a world-class wilderness, wilderness leadership center in British Columbia. And the last one is in the spring in Mexico. Um, and those are all digital mindfulness retreats that we're collaborating on. And uh, you can find all that information again at experiencedromo.com. Awesome. Great. Well, we'll be sure to share that information uh, in the show notes as well for this episode. So Christina, thank you so much again. And I, like I said, I really appreciate all the amazing work that you're doing and, and I appreciate your, your kindness and generosity for sharing all, all your wisdom when it, when it comes to Jomo and when it comes to uh, digital well-being. Thanks so much. you have it everyone christina crook i was so excited to have her on the podcast and she was just spewing so many knowledge bombs out to all you all so i really hope you got a lot out of this episode and that you are able to implement some of the things that she was talking about with jomo into your daily lives so thank you so much christina again for joining us on this podcast episode if you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave a review, comment, share with a friend, or if you have the Anchor app, I'd love it if you could call on in, send us a voicemail and let us know your thoughts. And said voicemail may have the opportunity to be published in a future episode. So stay tuned. You also have the opportunity to support this podcast. Supporting this podcast allows me to continue producing episodes with amazing and inspiring guests. So I really hope you enjoyed this episode and I look forward to catching you in the next one.